This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. And now we're putting quotes on those. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. (laughs) Greetings, reprobates. It's an exciting time for my guest today, Peter Fenton. He's got a movie out making festival rounds, and his play, Abandon All Hope, is about to make its off-Broadway premiere. He's got other projects in the works, and a lot of what he does today can be traced back to his experiences at, of all places, Wheaton College. Finally getting Wheaton in here. We've, we've had mentions of Wheaton. We have people like who almost went to Wheaton. Well, Peter went to the self-described Harvard of evangelical colleges. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway. This being chapel probation, we're making connections to shitty schools. So, but honestly, as you'll hear, Abandon All Hope, the play, is actually set in a Wheaton-esque dorm. So, so, the connection is there. Big time. So, my name is Peter Fenton. Uh, Pronouns are he, him. And I, I went to Wheaton College. Uh, class of 2017, so relatively recently. Um, how else would you like me to identify? I'm oh, a writer. Well, yeah, writer. I was going to say playwright, director, producer of film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a lot going on. It's a good time. I do. There. This is like, had we done this interview maybe two months ago, I would not have been nearly as busy. Um, (laughs) but just like all of a sudden things started blowing up all at once and like for better or worse, we don't really get to decide when things in our life happen. They just kind of do. Um, so right now I'm juggling, I have a, a short film that I wrote and produced that has entered the film festival circuit and, um, is starting to win awards all around the world. And I'm also making my off-Broadway debut with the play that I wrote inspired by partially my time at Wheaton, Abandon All Hope. Oh, um, shit. It's a play set in hell, and hell is a dorm room. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I was going to say, unfortunately, we have to go back in time to uh, not as happy times, but you've already written about it. So um, that's I great. have. You, you, you started <laughs> to unpack it all. <laughs> and, a bit, um, a bit. So let's go back. This is rough, man. Let's I'm do it. Just warning you. Um, <laughs> what? You're 18. So where are you coming from, and what are you going into as a young 18? All right. So um, my 18th birthday was during orientation week at Wheaton College. Um, so I guess immediately before then, I was. I was a summer camp counselor at a conservative Christian evangelical Bible camp um, that shall go unnamed. Um, (laughs) I do also take aim 
at my time in there in Abandon All Hope as well. Um, and but basically, I was I was a kid who I my parents are remarkably progressive for Christians, um, which was great. But I grew up in this really rural, uh, very conservative area of Pennsylvania. Um, Lancaster, for those of you listening who know, um, looks like it should be pronounced Lancaster, but um, it's pronounced Lancaster. Yeah. Um, okay, noted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that is, it's like the Amish capital of Pennsylvania. Um, my family is not Amish. We're, you know, just, you know, regular waspy Christians. Um, and there are plenty of them around in Lancaster as well. It's like, I feel like there's, there's sort of like a nice Midwestern vibe, even though it's Pennsylvania. It's it, it, I might as well have grown up in the Midwest. Um, and so I was surrounded by all of these more conservative Christians, um, going, even going to public school, I may as well have gone to a private Christian high school um, oh, just wow. for the sea of white Anglo-Saxon Protestants around me. Yeah. And of course, when you're in high school, middle school, all you want to do is fit in with your friends. And so I went right leaning like my teenage rebellion was getting involved with um, conservative Christian youth group and conservative Christian Bible camp, which oh, is no. hilarious in hindsight because yeah. like. My parents are the most loving, accepting kind of Christians you could ever meet. Um, like my dad's brother is gay. He came out in the 80s and my dad did oh, the hey. work of figuring out are the gays people back then, <laughs> right. um, which like he came on the right side of. So like all good there. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was like I was under the thumb of all these other more conservative Christians and when you're 17 years old and you have worked a couple summers at Bible camp and you, even though you know that, you know, the theater is what you love, um, you get, you get this thing stuck in your head that like, I must do something that is God honoring. I must do something that will please the Lord. Um, and like, theater, entertainment, that sort of thing. That's all like, even my parents were saying, you should go to school for theater. You're good at it. Um, <laughs> and I was like, nah, I'm going to do something godly. So I'm going to go to Wheaton and I'm going to go to uh, study to be either a pastor or a therapist. Um, uh, yeah. So that was, I mean, like, that's the very short version of the story, but, sure. um, that's essentially the mindset I went into Christian college with. I was like, screw all this theater stuff I've been doing. Like I had even written and staged m my first play while I was in high school, but like, screw all that. That's not what my future is. I'm going to go be a Christian ministry guy or a therapist, which, you know, whatever <laughs> <laughs> you didn't you didn't think to maybe like write plays for jesus or something you know i tried it was boring <laughs> <laughs> like the the second play that i tried to write um i tried to write basically 
like a pure flicks teen drama. And I, I wrote that and even 16 year old me was like, I don't like this. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was always kind of onto something, but I like just stopped just shy of realizing that like, you know, Hey, maybe I don't need to buy in so much, <laughs> but you know, we stop ourselves oh. just shy because we want to do what's pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, we did. When, when I, I thought I wanted to be maybe like a worship leader or something. Yeah. So that was my, uh, I could, I could major, I could go to a, I could go to school, get my degree and major in whatever, but that was always in the, so was being like a, a, a Christian artist in the back of your mind. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I think it was, it was definitely, I, I feel like I did some degree of brainwashing on myself, um, which is the weirdest thing. It's like, I can't pinpoint any one person who told me that I had to be going into ministry or going into whatever and like becoming a husk of myself in the process, which we can, we can get into that. Cause it was, it was a dark four years of my life um, that I lost to evangelicalism. Um, but I kind of did it to myself and I was like, yeah, that was something that I did when I was, 14 and wrote the play, but like, that's not going to be my future. Only God can write my future. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Oh, so you're at Wheaton mm-hmm. and is, so you, it sounds like you're all in though. So it's not like a culture shock. Like a lot, some people have, it's like, okay, yeah, you got to go to chapel and, oh, and there's all these rules in the dorms and, um, interesting chapel speakers saying <laughs> some kind yeah. of interesting things. Mm-hmm. What was that like? It was, I would say it was a little jarring um, in the sense that like meeting people who genuinely had issues with like women preaching. Um, that was sort of the biggest culture shock to me. Cause again, like I said, I mean, I come from a fairly progressive family. I didn't actually think that people actually believed that women shouldn't preach. Um, and it was like the weirdest thing walking into, and you, you know, Wheaton students always like to have theological conversations about anything under the sun unprompted, like, hi, I just met you. Let's debate, um, you know, predestination versus, uh, whatever, you know? Um, I just remember in, within that first couple weeks, I, one of my floor mates was like, yeah, I'm just. I'm just really struggling to to believe that this church, this local church that he had tried going to is legitimate because they have a woman preaching. I'm like, Ooh. wait, what? Because <laughs> 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 like, even by that point, I was still pretty bought in to most of Wheaton culture. And I was just like, hang on. Like, there are people out there who actually believe this stuff. I knew that people believed the, you know, queer people are going to burn in hell forever. Um, and at that point I had sort of let myself start believing that at the beginning of Wheaton. Um, oh, no. yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, and, uh, you know, knowing who I am, um, that. Did you know who you were? Did you I know? didn't. I didn't. Okay. Um, I would say the, the very short answer or the very short rabbit hole on that would be <laughs> in seventh grade, uh, the other boys in the locker room would call me the F word. Um, I, I know that I can say it. I just don't really want to. Um, yeah. And their line of thinking was like, Peter's different from us. Therefore he's gay. Therefore he's worthless. And I was like, well, I know they're, I know they're wrong about the worthless part. So therefore they must be wrong. And if I turn out to be gay, then the assholes win was my line of thinking. Oh, yeah. And so it was like, I made it, I was like, oh, well I must not be gay. Um, and so like, that was my line of thinking up until, well, when the illusions started to shatter of evangelicalism in general. Um, and, you know, I started pulling everything apart. We'll get there. Um, but so okay. that's where I was um, okay. in freshman year. I was like, you know, I had sort of let myself start believing that even though, even though I'm still close with my uncle, I'm still like, there are gay people that I know. I don't know. It was one of those things where I was like, I think I know what the Bible says about that. I'm not really going to think about it too much. I'm not going to make it, you know, the central piece of my theology. Cause like, I don't know. I like my uncle. He's cool, but yeah, you know, you, you know what I mean? I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so where were we going with that? Well, well this, <laughs> we just started getting the lay of the land at Wheaton here. So it, yeah. Chapel three times a week. Was it, was it a three yep. week chapel three times a week? Um, occasionally it was four. Um, when they had special series, uh, there was one of the only women that they had to speak at chapel, which again was like controversial that they had women Ooh. speaking in chapel period. Yeah. Um, yeah. it was very imbalanced. It was like four women to every, uh, school year, basically <laughs> of those three oh, for the whole year. Yeah. Oh. For the whole year. Um, yeah, there and were. I bet those were, were the best women. <laughs> I bet uh, one of them was uh, a woman who. Uh, have you heard the name? Um, oh, what's her name? Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. She's, she's no, I feel like I should know that name. That's, that's quite a name. Uh, yeah. Um, there is a much less savory name that I like to throw around when I describe her. Um, you, you can probably <laughs> probably figure that out, you know. But field, yeah, yeah, you know. There's there's a lot of lot of things, <laughs> lot of lot of things you can play that's with. A lot. Um, in that's her a name, name, you could work with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, she is an. She describes herself as an ex atheist, ex lesbian, ex college professor. Sure. sure um, Right. Uh, she was like a leftist college professor turned homeschool mom. It was like, mm. she believes in conversion therapy, even though she did not go through it herself. She was just touched by the heart of Jesus and whatever. I don't know. I don't know her. I've never spoken to her, but she, yeah, she's hurt a lot of people. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's really all we need to know. So, yeah. Yeah, she had spoken at chapel uh, my freshman year at one point. Um, so that would have been you, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Do you think Champagne Butterfield is her given name or is that like a stage name? 
safety. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if your name is Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, I feel like you have to do something with that. Like, right? Like, that is a public persona name. Yeah. Y- you don't just walk around with the name Rosaria Champagne Butterfield and not. I don't know. I feel like. I mean, my dream, if I ever did drag, would be to riff on her name with, um, you know, my drag persona. But yeah, unluckily for me, I'm just not really that into drag. Um, I tried, <laughs> tried getting into it. <laughs> yeah, that, just not really not for so me. much for you. All right, not so well, much for me. I, I'm I'm happy that people I'm happy that people love it, and yeah, we no, absolutely should yeah. let drag queens read books to kids. That that's all. Yeah, that's all wonderful. Better it's them just, than pastors. Uh, Exactly. Um, not so much for me. <laughs> okay. No, well, no, it doesn't have to be for all of us. We can just yeah. appreciate the art and the... Yeah. All right. So, all right. So that was, that's chapel. And then I assume there yeah. were some pretty rigorous rules in the dorms, you know. Uh, you know yeah. Keep, keep the doors open if, if someone... Oh, did they even mm-hmm. let um, women yeah, in there men's were, dorms? And- yeah, there were... There were uh, open floor hours for what they were called um on wednesdays both men's and women's floors were open on friday nights Wild the wednesdays. women's floors were opened yeah exactly yeah and it was like six to ten or so like you know some someone ridiculous okay. like that um and then on fridays the women's floors were open and then on saturdays the men's floors were open um and you still remember the schedule. That's pretty impressive. So I do. I have a lot of things running around rent free in my head. I think that's half the reason I'm a writer is just like I have yeah. all this useless things living rent free in my head and I need them to start paying up. <laughs> well, you, you wrote a play uh, with I did. With, I'm assuming a good deal of those things in your head. So, oh, absolutely. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um there's there's a reason i made hell a dorm room um <laughs> you know yeah so we were saying before uh, you know i've heard wheaton referred to as the harvard of of christian schools evangelical schools so yeah that's a thing that and that is you, I, undeniably that yeah. is a thing that they say about themselves <laughs> about themselves um is it true Maybe I, it's I possible because I mean, can the, you name the low bar? <laughs> the bar is in hell, so because <laughs> yeah. um, APU considers itself a top-notch uh, Christian school, okay. and if okay. that's top-notch, then yeah, they're fucked because um, yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so do you, did you get a sense of like how science is taught or, um, um, a bit, it's like the, the thing about the thing about Wheaton, um, and like, I, I will say most of my negative feelings about Wheaton only happened in hindsight. Um, cause I would say like for the most part going through Wheaton as a white man, cisgender um did not know i was queer until the last semester um like for the most part my experience going through wheaton was like oh yeah this is this is okay for the most part um 
And, you know, only after entering the real world and looking back on it, I'm like, why the hell did I do that to myself? Um, (laughs) You know, um, but yeah. So I think Wheaton to, to its credit, I will say, I don't feel like the degree I got from Wheaton is a joke. Um, Okay, good. Yeah. Like I do feel like I got a college education. It just had a lot of bonus religious trauma. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bonus religious trauma, you know, as a treat, you know, um, yeah, I think Wheaton Wheaton often wants it both ways with right. they want to be seen as academically serious and yeah. they also want to be seen as, you know, biblically germane or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and the the problem with being academically serious is um and encouraging your students to develop their critical thinking skills is you can't limit what their critical thinking arrives them at to a box. And by making yourself a biblically rigorous institution, let's say, let's be generous and say that um, (laughs) you are putting, you're putting that box Um, or like if you're having students sign a statement of faith, you are, you're basically saying your conclusions must land you here or else you're no good. Right. And that's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. I don't think it's hard, but in in practice, damn near impossible. If you're, if you're like a a religious institution that's trying Mm -hmm. to be academic, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's impossible to police where your where your conclusions go. If you're right. really following, if you're if you're willing to give the evidence and um, you know the facts a fair shake, you right. can't you you can't tell yourself where you're going to land with that as yeah. evidence presents itself. And that's the scary thing about evangelical institutions. Definitely. I would say. I found myself listening to Peter talk about not letting the cishet assholes win by not exploring his identity as a young man. I can't relate to the sexuality part, but I can relate to not wanting white folks to beat me at life. So I, I played baseball, I played guitar in bands and on worship teams, I, I hunted with guns and I fished and camped, I perfected my casting stroke and my handling of firearms, and I excelled at all things related to the English language, from literature to writing. I was covering the ba- all bases, <laughs> so outside of the firearms, I still love doing those things, but it's no longer about denying my identity and winning at whiteness. For Peter, he had to choose one form of dignity over another. He could have just been himself, but that would have cost him dearly in the eyes of his peers. So he chose to perform straight white masculinity at the cost of his true self. Such are the options for everyone in most of this country in this world who is not part of the majority culture. You gotta just fit in and be yourself 
at great cost. And this shitty duality is heightened in Christian spaces because it's not just social norms we weigh against our identities. It's God's commands and design. You want to go against that? You do so at your own risk until you get out. So when you took your required Bible classes, mm-hmm. um, and now they're known as a pretty sound, theologically speaking, um, faculty there. Were, mm-hmm. was it, were there moments where you were like shocked that, oh, wow, the Bible says that? Or, you know, I thought it said something else. Or um, did they point those passages out? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I wasn't a great student. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I would say because I had, I had grown up reading the Bible pretty regularly. I kind of knew what was in the Bible. Like there was, there was nothing in the Bible that really shocked me per se, um, going through it. But like, yeah, my, my old Testament, my old Testament professor, I remember that was a night class, um, and I mean, we're coming up on that being, you know, 10 ish years ago that I took that. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember just mostly being bored sitting in that class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's the old Testament, but I, I do remember the, the, the most interesting thing that I learned in my new Testament class was actually about the creation story. Um, but mm. in the new Testament, um, my new Testament professor went on a tangent one day and, um, something that I thought was interesting because he considers, he considers himself to be, um, pro women preaching and pro egalitarian. Oh. So this was probably like a progressive galaxy brain moment. Um, yeah. In, in the class's mind, um, that he was saying, but, he was like he didn't believe that the patriarchy was the design of the uh, was the design of God. He believed it was a product Ooh. of the fall, and he walked through the uh, he walked through the the curse that right um, God speaks to Eve, and um, and also the fact that in that whole exchange with Eve and the snake, um, it says he turned or she turned to her husband who was with her. Like, if if Adam was really supposed to be the the spiritual leader, the headship of the house, um, right? You know, screwed up. He should have he should have said something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that that was interesting to me. Um, But like, not a lot of not a lot of um, particularly uh, fucked up things. I, I can. Oh yeah, you curse throughout your entire memoir. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, once or twice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just once or twice, you know. Um, so fucked up. That's pages, a verb, apparently. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I most of the things that I that like started making making my whole um, evangelical complex start to collapse on itself. Um, didn't really happen in my Bible classes. Um, okay. They happened in my gender and communication class. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So I was a communication major. 
And I, at the start of, at the start of college, I had this um, really meaningful conversation with one of my professors uh, for my, you know, public speaking 101 class. And I actually beat for beat recreate this scene in Abandon All Hope because oh, it hey. was, it, it was that um, impactful of a conversation that I had with her. Um, I really wanted to, the, I really wanted to talk about, cause again, this is pre-evolved Peter. Uh, this is, this is not me okay. now. This is not me now. Right. It's very important yeah, yeah. that you know that this okay. is not me now. Noted. Um, yes. I was as a, as a white perceived straight man, I felt that we didn't really talk about our issues. Um, you know, it was like, you know, we, we keep talking about women's rights. We, the black lives matter was uh, just starting to organize, um, in 2013. And I, I don't know. I was just like, why are there no men's studies courses? Like why, why can't I, um, like look into, cause like I was interested in masculinity and communication. Um, and I was like, I, and my professor was like, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Um, you are a, <laughs> you know, she said to me at the time, you are a straight white Christian man going to school at an evangelical liberal arts college that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars for your degree. Um, there are certain things that you just don't get from your position in society. That's what we call standpoint theory. Um, standpoint theory of communication. It's like, you know, <clears throat> um, and so, cause I was proposing a project and she said, this is a project for nobody. Cause I was like, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about male friendship and masculinity. And she was like, there's nothing to explore here. You're not actually exploring something controversial. And that rocked me. Cause I didn't know what to do with that. And then a year later when I, for sophomore fall, I was signing up for gender and communication. And I was like, Oh, this will be interesting. I'll be able to find out, you know, the ways that men and women are different from each other. And we'll like have an actual conversation about that thing that had been living in my head since, you know, the freshman fall. Yeah. And so when I started this class, uh, the professor, um, uh, she is still associated with Wheaton college. So I will, yeah. uh, not, um, not name. Yeah. Not name names, but, um, let's, let's call her the professor. Um, the professor, uh, let's call her Amy. Her name isn't Amy. Um, okay. Amy was the, she was a single woman in her mid forties teaching this class, um, on faculty at an evangelical college. And, um, she, she didn't have to reach particularly far, um, for examples of sexism and in yeah. the workplace, uh, sexism in communication and like my whole perception of, of life up to that point was like, sexism is just, you know, telling women to go make me a sandwich. Like I thought that's where sexism began and ended. 
And like, I thought racism began and ended with, you know, the KKK um, or, you right. know, yeah, you know, et cetera. Hate someone, crimes. Someone um, saying the N word. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, I don't know. It was, it, there was just something about the way that Amy would talk about her own experience. And I was just like, Oh shit. Like yeah, that conversation I had with that other professor the year before, everything makes sense now. It is, it must be so hard to be a woman, to be non-white, to be queer. Cause again, I wasn't, I didn't know that I was, it, it, it must be so hard to be any of those things in the church. And that was sophomore fall. It just kind of started to unravel. So like Wheaton unintentionally radicalized me. Um, <laughs> even though going through it, I, I still pretty much was bought in, but I, it was just like, I don't know. That was the first like thread of the sweater. Right. When you start right. picking at it, you start it's picking all at starts it. starts unraveling. It's like, I don't know. Um, you've seen, you've seen the good place, right? Have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, in a lot of ways, I feel like I feel like Wheaton was the good place neighborhood <laughs> um, <laughs> where it was like, you know, we're told it's, you know, Christ in his kingdom. And that's Wheaton's motto. Um, okay. Like, it's this lovely place um, full of all the perfect people. And um, I don't know, I just I just started to notice things. And I was like, wait a second this is the bad place. Like that was, you know, uh, that was, that was probably the first of the realizations that led me to toward the end to be like, yeah, fuck this. I'm out of here <laughs> by the time wow. I graduated. Right. Yeah. The bad place, the bad place. Oof. This is the bad place. Maybe. I so mean, I don't know. Did- Maybe I'm being harsh. I don't know. Well, Given all the stories we've heard on this podcast, I don't I don't know if you are. I don't think We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery. After all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences will boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. Hey everyone, I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. 
In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there. Yeah. Um, be- no. so, but to, so you're in your, what, second or third year at this point. So mm-hmm. you are you thinking, I just have to hang on and get my degree? Um, or, or, or are you like really trying to interrogate your faith and trying to figure it out how to, how to salvage it, how to maintain it? Yeah, so so gender and communication sophomore fall was, I would say, the start of the turning point. And the second part of the turning point, um, content warning, I'm going to talk about depression and um, yeah. perhaps um, the ending of one's life ideation. Um, yeah. I was also, so things had gotten bad. Um just for me mentally. And I I know I can like talk and joke about all this now, but um, going through, going through the end of high school and getting so deeply into um, this like Christian Bible camp. And um, I had, I had realized I didn't like my personality. Um, And like part of, part of the whole like rejecting, going into theater was an exercise in trying to change my personality completely. Um, Cause like I'm more or less the same personality now as I was when I was 10. Um, you know, I, it, you know, I, I, I've got 10 year old energy. It's fine. Um, but I had <laughs> really all changed to that. Yes. Um, but like in the process of this uh, Bible camp, Wheaton, conservative Christian rebellion that I went through, I just like got into this habit of repeating to myself, this is who I really am, this, you know, conservative Christian self. And I spent all this time trying to project this image of like, I am a thoughtful, I'm wise, I am godly, I am masculine, um, I am all of these God honoring things. And I, I spent all this energy to project all that, that I, A, was pushing my family away and definitely was, you know, quietly thinking or saying, maybe I said it out loud, but like, you are not real Christians um, for being, you know, progressive. Um, you like, I'm going to listen to only the godly people in my life, um, which is very funny because if there is a, if there is a God, which I, I mean, I, I believe there's, there may be something out there. Yeah. The best name I have for it is God. If there yeah. is a God and if that God is loving, my parents are probably some of the godliest people I've ever met. Um, yeah. Amen. But yeah. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so I had gotten into this um, place of, expending all my emotional energy to make sure that people knew the real me, which was this curated image that I was trying to convince myself was true because I had once heard, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. 
That quote is usually attributed to Joseph Stalin. I don't think he actually said it, but I don't know why I thought that that was a sign of hope, but that's what I, you know, I was like, if I repeat this lie often enough, eventually it'll become true. The problem is nobody was really meeting me. Nobody was really connecting with me. And I certainly wasn't really connecting with anybody else. Um, I wasn't paying attention to what anybody else had to say. I just needed to make sure that they knew this fake image that I was creating of myself. Wow. Um, Not to mention it's a lie. Yeah. Not to mention it's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so after years of like, after two years of this from senior year, high school, freshman year at Wheaton, um, into halfway through sophomore year at Wheaton, I didn't really have any friends left. Um, like, you know, I had, I had pretty much pushed everyone from camp away. Actually. Um, I had pushed away my family. I had not really made great friends at Wheaton. I made one really good friend at Wheaton who is still one of my best friends to this day. Um, and that was it. Um, there was this like weird social politicking thing that happened when we picked housing for junior year for whatever reason, like I was loosely affiliated with a group of friends. Um, it was like a nine person friend group, let's say. Um, I, when I wanted to start talking about housing for junior year, um, I was told that seven of the guys had gone in on a seven person campus house and, um, Brendan and I, um, my roommate and I were uh, the two that were left out and not told until after the fact. Um, And for whatever reason, that's what did it to me. Um, So I had just gone through this um, gender and communication class and started to pick at the, huh, maybe this is the bad place. Um, And then, and then, in senior and sophomore spring, I was like, maybe I am the bad place. Um, and I went to this like oh. really dark place. Um, yeah. cause like, I didn't know who I was anymore. Uh, it's like, I knew that this fake version of myself wasn't real, but I had gotten so disassociated from who I actually was. I just, there's a month of my life that I actually don't remember what happened. Um, which is terrifying. (laughs) Um, yeah. And so when I started going to therapy, um, in late February, so it was like the six weeks of my life that I don't remember, uh, were like January to mid February. Um, I, my therapist who was not affiliated with Wheaton college, I don't even think he was a Christian. Um, he just, listened to me and helped me get to know myself again, which was like, it just, it came in waves, you know, it was just like piece by piece, whatever. Um, and then, and then back on Christian college culture as a whole, um, for junior and senior years, I was much more in the mindset of I'm here. I'm in deep enough. I'm just going to be myself and figure out what comes naturally. 
Um, yeah. and that was, that was my attitude toward the last, the latter two years. And I, I do still have some very good friends from Wheaton from those last two years. Um, so it, it does have a happy ending, but it was, it was a, it was a dark, dark middle there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm glad you made that sort of breakthrough there in the middle. Yeah. So, so tell me about this last semester then where. The final piece yeah. sort of <laughs> falls into the place. The final piece, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I guess I'll I'll go th- I'll go through junior year and but so the, to set up senior year. Um, yeah. So I had decided that I wanted to get acquainted with myself again um, and just do things that were interesting. So I joined the Wheaton College Men's Glee Club, which was um, genuinely. I have uncomplicated feelings about men's glee club. It was great. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I made a bunch of friends there and, um, that was basically junior year. Um, you know, I, I did well in school. Um, and I had friends and also kind of thought Christian college culture was still kind of BS. Um, I was starting to think that, um, just like all these, all these rules and such. And then my internship between uh, junior and senior year was like, that was the nail in the coffin for me in evangelicalism. Because at the time, this was when Donald Trump was running for president uh, the Oof, first time. Yep. Um, and I I did an internship for a missionary organization. And I was like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I you're hate seeing this and don't trust made. anybody. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like, wow. I didn't even like the. I didn't even really like the evangelism reach out of Christian summer camp. Um, and this was like people who made their lives the evangelism reach out part. And I was like, oh boy, this is this, this is no bueno, no bueno. Um, no. <laughs> I did get to see Europe though. So like, okay, you know, so you got some travel out of it. Uh, I yeah. did get some travel on some sketchy missionary organizations dime. Um, oh, and so, so coming back to Wheaton for senior fall, I was like, okay, I'm done. All right. I'm done with, I'm done with the, the whole evangelical complex. Like I had, I had come to, I'm a progressive Christian. This conservative evangelical thing is kind of, kind of bull. Um, yeah. And you know, I, Oh, the, the thing I forgot to say this at the beginning, but the thing that I really hated about Wheaton and, um, you know, the, the culture of Christian college was just like the fact that they insisted that we go to a local church. Um, this was not tracked in any way. Um, there was no, there was no way of measuring. Did you do your church attendance in addition to your three chapel services? Um, but even from as young as freshman year, even when I was still super bought in, I was like, no, that's dumb. I'm going to chapel three times a week. Um, (laughs) I I don't need, I don't need to get up on Sundays to go to church. And I felt weird because I felt like I was one of the only people who did that because like everybody else went to a local church and I'm like, how, how do you manage? Yeah. Like genuinely, I'm just like, are all these people better Christians than me? I I guess. I mean, clearly, but, uh, (laughs) 
Um, anyway, so, so by this time, senior fall, um, I was just like, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna feel bad about not going to church. I'm not going to feel bad yeah. about drinking now that I'm 21. I'm yeah. Which that was also, that was also weird. Um, quick, quick anecdote, not, yeah. not, not a heavy anecdote, but a quick one. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so my birthday is in that week before class starts usually it's august 26th um which it was always fun because we always had you know my friends from college were always around um and so i so wheaton's covenant goes into effect um the first day of school and the covenant at wheaton is like uh you won't you won't drink you won't do drugs you won't have sex outside of a heterosexual marriage you won't be gay um, I know that technically it's a longer document than that, but that that's basically what it's. But that's what basically it, it, yeah. For all these yeah, schools, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so my birthday was Friday, August twenty sixth, and class started on Wednesday the twenty fourth. So I was about to turn twenty one, senior fall, um, and so I would be twenty one only after Covenant was in effect, and so. Oh. My roommate, um, who one of my one of my other roommates who is still a very close friend to this day and has since well, he says he stands by this decision, but he also thinks the covenant was dumb. But I don't I don't know. You'd have to sit down and talk with him. Um but <laughs> he comes to my room and he's like, Hey, so we've been thinking long and hard about this. We want to drink with you to celebrate your birthday. However, we would rather break the law than covenant. So we're going to drink tonight. (laughs) And so we kill this, this like probably 30 K or 15 case of, you know, natty light or whatever. And um, it was really fun. That was like the night before class started. And, but then on my actual 26th birthday or my 21st birthday on the 26th, um, I was like, so really nobody's, nobody's going to go drink with me. And, um, yeah, nobody did. I had to go buy a beer by myself on my 21st by birthday. Because oh, it was Such is the fear, right, of, of the culture of evangelicals. Yeah. Absolutely. That's relatable. Yeah. Yeah. I showed up yeah. buzzed to my own dry 21st birthday party. It was great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, well, we can laugh about it now, but... We can laugh about it now. It was a little harrowing in the moment. For a lot of folks, including some you've heard on this podcast, coming to terms with their sexuality and identity in an evangelical setting can be an excruciating experience. There's guilt, shame, and denial. For someone in the midst of deconstructing... It can be just one more component to reconcile with a person's identity. There's a lot going on. But as you'll hear, Peter's experience was surprisingly different in a, in a, in a good way. But anyway, so my senior right. fall, yeah. <clears throat> I had gotten really close with this one boy from Glee Club. Uh, tale as old as time, you know. And, and Glee Club... <clears throat> 
in Glee Club. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was the kind of boy that I would ditch plans with other people to go hang out with him in his room. Um, there was nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing overtly going on, but lots of subtext, as it were. Oh yeah. Um, because also, as far as I knew, I was straight at that point. Um, oh, but right. so yeah. there was this have like. An, an- I didn't have an inkling about it or um, I didn't let myself. Right. Cause I was still right. with this mentality that if I'm gay, the assholes win. And right. Right. As far as I knew, I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna, gonna follow what comes naturally. I like this guy is my best friend. I'm going to spend lots of time with him and you know, whatever, whatever. Um, like it was getting bad. Like I would, I there was one night where I had a big test the next day and he was in like sort of a depressive funk that night. And I waited outside his door all night uh, to talk to him and he never woke up. And I went in, like I went into this test um, after having pulled an all nighter that I did not need to. Um, It was just like this kind of like, I had a screw loose, you know, like he made me feel some kind of way. And like, I just thought I was a super dedicated friend. Um, because you know, that's, that's what good Christians do. You know, we, we will come over on a Saturday night at 11 PM and watch you play Pikmin. Um, which is the most boring video game to watch ever. I don't know if you know (laughs) Pikmin, but, uh, I've heard of it. I am not familiar with it. It um, is but, yeah. very boring. I, I imagine <laughs> it's fun to play, but uh, yeah. as somebody watching on the couch, it is It is yeah. not. Um, not. Not so interesting. Yeah, okay. No. Um, the so things we do for love. The things we do for love that we don't realize is love. That um, we don't realize is love. <laughs> yes. Um, so... <laughs> Over Christmas break, my final Christmas break between uh, junior and senior spring, I get a text from him uh, telling me that he has failed out of Whedon and would not be returning for the next semester. And I, I had a breakdown. Like, I knew what a depressive breakdown was because I had gone through one in sophomore year, but this was different. This was like... Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to get out of bed, but like, I still wanted to live, you know? Um, and so while I was sitting thinking, I, I just let, and like the whole therapy exercises I'd been doing since sophomore year, since that big depressive spell was just like, don't question the thoughts that come into your head. Just like follow, follow what comes naturally and just let yourself be yourself. And so the question was, is this what heartbreak feels like? Is this what straight people, is this what like people talk about when they go through breakups? Like, and the thought was like, I actually got excited because I was like, Oh, "Oh, wait. Cause like I had dated girls before and like, I never felt, much of anything when we broke up or, um, you know, at much of any, or I felt bitter, but I didn't feel like that heartbreak. Yeah. And so it was just like, 
Oh, wait, 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 wait. I liked him. Like, it, was, it was like the dumbest, like most basic. Anybody else could have seen this um, just based on our relationship. But it was just like, yeah. oh, I loved him. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And then I started looking back on other male relationships that had ended weirdly. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Because by this point, I was already affirming and I was already like, yeah, you know. Uh, and then I was like, okay. The question is, do I come out? And I was like, eh, I only have 15 weeks left at Wheaton. I can just sit on this until I graduate. So I did. Yeah. <laughs> But so that last semester, did you feel like freer though, knowing that you you, you figured this out? That even though it was like your secret, and, and I totally yes. get why you would have done that. But like, was there a, like was there a, like a feeling of like euphoria? Like I I figured this out. Yeah, it was like a bit of a, a bit of a bit of fear of like what would happen if somebody found out. Um, but mostly just like, oh, thank God I finally make sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like this overwhelming sense of like, oh, I no longer have to twist reality to fit the prescribed framework that I'd given myself. Like I can just kind of be like, I can have relationships with people male and female and be aware of what's actually going on. Um, and so it was just like, yeah, I, I would say it was ultimately freeing. Um, the, the coming out process was like coming out to people from Wheaton and from the Christian camp world that those were the worst ways that, things went when I came out, like when I came out to family, when I came out to whatever, it all went pretty well. Um, like I said, I mean, I've got a wonderful relationship with my parents. Um, but yes. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, but, (laughs) uh, not so easy, not such a good thing to come out to those people eventually. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, I mean, we, we can talk about that or we can talk about other things. And... Well, yeah, I want to give <laughs> time to, for you to talk about your, cause you know, we, we can all imagine how, how hard that is and how people respond. Um, mm-hmm. it's so predictable. Yeah. Um, so, but let's, let's, because I want, I want this to be a celebration of Peter Fenton <laughs> and all the th- cool things we're doing now. Right, because you, Scott. <laughs> it's. I, I I wish more of the stories ended, and your story isn't ending by any means. It's just beginning. Mm-hmm. But I I wish more of these chapel probation stories had this like this through line of you know hard things, some self discovery, and now, ooh, look at all this success creatively that you know you couldn't have even imagined while you were at Wheaton, probably. Yeah. Oh. Uh, if I time this correctly, should be opening this week that people are first listening to this podcast so yes where is it playing and tell me about the play oh my goodness all right so abandon all hope is my baby um this this has been um but let's start with the logistics so it is playing 
for one performance only at Theater Row on 42nd Street in New York City, off-Broadway. This is my off-Broadway debut. Yeah. Um, So what's Abandon All Hope about? Um, So the, the basic premise of Abandon All Hope is we've got three college freshmen. We have a... A uh, girl who introduces herself as I'm Melissa Jones, she, her, Kappa Theta. I'm an intersectional feminist. So, like, she just, like, kind of has this way of, like, oh, I'm better than you about her. Um, <laughs> so, we've got her. Um, we have a who's described in the stage directions as a naive evangelical. Um, and he essentially is who I was pretending to be as a freshman yeah. in college, okay. uh, this like knows his Bible is a student at Redeemer university, which is not a college that exists in America. Right. I know it exists in right. Canada, but, um, Oh, okay. But I mean, it could be know, any of these places. So could be any of these places. Um, it's most obviously a stand in for Whedon, of course, Wheaton, but yeah, yes. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. Um, and then the third, the third college freshman is this Ivy league guy um, who won't shut up about game theory. Um, And he is a closeted gay boy. Um, So the three of these college freshmen have met in hell. Um, They're, they're dead and they have arrived in hell and hell for them is one room and it's a dorm room set up for two people that three people must share. <laughs> yeah. Um, the demon like all who's freshmen in, charge in America. Them, yes. Like all freshmen in America. If hell, if Jean Paul Sartre was right when he said hell is other people, <laughs> then a freshman dorm room <laughs> might just be your perfect picture of hell on earth. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nicely played. Yep. Thank you. It's that's a line in the play. Um, the demon who's in charge of them. She's taken the form of this like middle-aged wine mom. Um, the demon, she challenges yeah. the three of them to a game. The winner of the game will go to heaven at the cost of the other two's eternal torture. And so this is a game with no winners. Yeah. That's that's essentially I mean, the premise of the play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, te- technically, I guess one of them could say they were winning. But, um, but are they yeah. really? Right. No, exactly. So yeah. Um, philosophy. So it's, yeah, it was definitely inspired by the good place. Um, the, it's frankly kind of started out as good place fan fiction. Um, (laughs) Oh, Hey, a little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah, but I was just, I just had a lot to get out on the page with this. Um, it's like, I, I essentially took three aspects of my own personality and fleshed them out into, characters um and i i mean the the resulting play is um it's it's a dark comedy and it's a drama i would say it's it's a dramedy Dramedy, dramedy yeah um but it it very much is just like a reflection of the philosophical religious um spirituality or lack thereof journey i've been on over the last 10 years, I'd say. Um, yeah. And I just, I had lots of things to say about um, the way that Christians have spoken to me, the way that I've spoken to other people, the way that 
life has shaken out and um, some of the things I've picked up along the way. Um, and yeah, I, I've been working on it for the last three years. Um, I wrote it to cope with lockdown. Um, yeah. Hey, yeah. In 2020, um, I yep. sat down and was like, I'm going to get all this out somehow. Um, and then over the last three years, I've just been iterating and developing it, um, submitting and getting rejected and, you know, uh, revising and resubmitting and having staged readings and, you know, just trying yep. to yep. find this place. And, um, back in March, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back out on submission again. And, um, what do you know, this, uh, theater festival, the rogue theater festival, um, it, they had hundreds of scripts submitted, uh, for their one week festival. Um, they chose six and abandon all hope is one of them. And we're getting the, the Saturday night slot, which is kind of insane. That's amazing, man. That's so cool. I yeah. got bumps. That's <laughs> Cause yeah, for people who don't know, you know, there's Broadway, but to, for my money, the off Broadway stuff is both more like artistically sound, you know, the, the Broadway stuff's cool. You know, it can, it can, it can be, but it's more of like the, mm-hmm. the big commercially crowd pleasing kind of thing. But like, I mean, there's exceptions of course, but yeah, yeah. but off, off Broadway is not a knock on anything. It's, it's actually very prestigious to get something that's off Broadway. In those, I would say in so. Theaters. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's huge. So congrats, man. That's, that's Thanks. so cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're, send, I'm going to tell all my New York friends and yes. people to go. So, yeah, it's um, we're we're deep in rehearsals. Um, I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll still be deep in rehearsals. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's going to be our our tech week. So, um, right. but yeah, we've got very very talented cast across the boards. Um, we've got a you know three the three young people um all making their off broadway debuts and even our our awesome. uh, demon cougar is making her off broadway debut with this show oh, that's um, great yeah so it's oh, lots of that's fun so cool so <laughs> cool from from wheaton to off broadway that's from wheaton to off broadway is a journey yeah it is a, i um i definitely i definitely think i will go by the wayside of like you know someone like wes craven another famous wheaton alum um <laughs> i did not know that <laughs> yeah wes craven of nightmare on elm street and scream fame is also yeah. a wheaton alum uh wheaton does not acknowledge him um no and i i would have to think that wheaton would not acknowledge me even though i would say no abandon all hope is not not something that Wheaton would enjoy. like. I don't know. It's the it's the whole like it's the whole where's your box and where do you end up? Because mm-hmm. like I yeah. think Wheaton would appreciate um, some of the intellectual journey I go on, but yeah. I don't think they like where it ends. Maybe up. not. Maybe not in official <laughs> capacity, but like I, I would imagine faculty and administrators would right. have to say. Hey, that's like, that's all right. That's, that's good. Like our, um, yeah, exactly. Our, um, you know, the Amy of previous mention, um, right. I, I think she would probably, yeah. enjoy it. I mean, there's, have you, have you there's a professor any of your old professors. Um, 
Not in a while. <laughs> I did go back to visit Wheaton once um, when some of my friends were still in school, um, like within the first two years of graduating. Mm -hmm. I went back then, and it was it was just kind of fun to you know, yeah, party around whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, party, I use that term very yeah. loosely, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had, I had a really good conversation with one of the, one of my professors, but I honestly, I don't know how much I really want to talk to yeah. some of my professors. Cause like, I kind of want to still have the nice image of the sure. people who I have nice memories of. Yeah. Um, and I would, yeah, yeah not i would not like to have those ruined <laughs> yeah i i get that yeah. totally understand although i mean had you been my professor um i mean we we would still be hanging out and it would be cool <laughs> probably yeah we we would be yeah, yeah. talking we would, about we life and art <laughs> yeah well we can vibe now so yeah um yeah you can be so, my honorary yeah, christian just... college professor <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because my the school I worked at is not th thrilled that I wrote the book that I wrote. So, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what what do you mean just, you disguised you disguised their identity so well? I did in the book, uh, but yeah, <laughs> not <laughs> one in, more mouse in general. click is, is yeah. <laughs> it, they're going to find out it's APU. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I'm just so happy for your success and so Thank in you. awe of all the things you're accomplishing and yeah, keep going. Thanks. That's yeah. Really cool. Thank you so much for thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, I I can always talk about myself, so like it's it's always fun when someone hey, asks me to do it in a, a professional thing. capacity. <laughs> yeah. Well, a capacity. <laughs> a capacity. So, yeah. No, I mean, but I mean, um, for the listener at home, if you have not picked up Asian American apostate yet, you absolutely should. Um, Scott's book aw, is brilliant thanks. as well, and I am so happy for all of your success as well. Ah, thanks, man. That's yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah. Here's to more good things ahead. Here's to so much more. Whew. I almost felt a sense of relief hearing Peter talk about coming to grips with his sexuality. So many people wrestle, quote unquote, wrestle with that or fight against it, or which he obviously did subconsciously, it seems. But when the realization finally hit, Peter felt relief. Obviously, there was some internal turmoil from Peter's youth when he decided to enact straightness to beat the assholes, as he said. And Peter will likely spend his life processing that. Just as we all process the denial of ourselves on every level from our time in white nationalist fundamentalist Christianity. The good news, and there is a lot of good news in this episode, is that those of us who deconstruct have the rest of our lives, some longer than others, to both process the past and reimagine our futures. And Peter is off to an amazing start. I think I read that the off-Broadway premiere of Abandon All Hope is already sold out and it's receiving great reviews. But after that, Peter's career as a playwright, film producer, and writer is just starting. He's a young man who graduated from Wheaton just six years ago. But damn, 
I can't wait to see everything he does. So thanks again to Peter Fenton for coming on to Chapel Probation. And yeah, we wish him the best in all his endeavors. So at the end, the bonus of this week will be not so much a bonus as um, a rant. Just something, just trying something out. All right, it's time for a chapel probation rant. So I was listening to Straight White American Jesus a few weeks ago, and they were talking about how Texas is trying to force the every classroom in, in the public, public schools to have a copy of the Ten Commandments on the wall. Now, forget all the talk of... <laughs> separation of church and state Let, let's just assume that they're gonna do this because it's fucking texas the re the argument that the woman was making the proponent of of this of getting these 10 commandments on the walls literally said well you know it's for classroom management you know a, a classroom that has the 10 commandments up would be a really good classroom to be in because you know of all the, the, the rules, the commandments. And I about flipped out. I was driving and I about drove off. Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? In 15 years at APU, every semester I had a, I had a running joke. You know, I would tell my students, you don't follow the Ten Commandments. So don't whip it out to make an argument. You follow some of them. I assume none of you have killed anyone or uh, committed adultery because they hadn't been married yet and they always said yeah we do we, we know the Ten Commandments and I'd say what are they in 15 years there were two students who successfully listed off the Ten Commandments two 15 years most of them got it like five or six so how would that work for classroom and a lot of teachers listen to this podcast and can you imagine, you know, you're, you're, you have to integrate the Ten Commandments into your classroom management? Huh? So let's, let's play this game. What are the Ten Commandments? And how might they effectively help teachers manage their classrooms? Uh, commandment number one. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. This means... That anyone in the class that is not of Christianity, doesn't believe in God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is kind of screwed because, well, it's just, they just are. Right, I guess you get no recess, Timmy, because you don't believe. This is probably why they invented the Trinity, by the way. So believing in Jesus' divinity didn't violate the first commandment, the first of ten, in a classroom. How in the hell is a teacher going to enforce this? And honestly, how does this... Well, actually, we know the answer. We know how they think this is going to... It'll make everything better. Because everyone is forced to believe in God and not put anyone else before them. Uh, the second one, thou shalt not make any graven images. Now, graven images means 
carved, but that was the technology. So we can assume that it's, this is referring to anything created to, I don't know, make people worship people. So imagine your pictures of BTS or Beyonce or Taylor Swift in your folder could be seen as a graven image and that would be confiscated. Um, and if you violate this commandment, I don't know, detention, let's say, let's say that at least a few demerits. Take God's name in vain, number three. Um, let's just skip that one, because even Christians today don't understand that one. Literalists that they are. Keep the Sabbath holy. Now, this one nails everyone alive today, Christian or not. No one keeps the Sabbath holy, including the most fundamentalists, hardcore Christians, not even the Orthodox ones, not Fred Phelps, not Ted Cruz. The laws of the Sabbath were brutal and crystal, crystal clear. No work whatsoever. No eating, no drinking, no sex, no washing or bathing. No, no leather shoes for some reason. So in addition to all the things a teacher has to enforce, this one might be the most labor intensive with making sure one's students did not eat, bathe or have sex or do any kind um, work of any kind. At, at, on Sunday or Sabbath, however we're going to decide. One of those days has to be the Sabbath. On the flip side, if students ever find out a teacher prepped for a class or graded papers on a Sabbath, well, that could just end in a stalemate. Because like I said, nobody follows the rules of the Sabbath. At least none of the Christians do. And you'd have to be a pretty hardcore Jewish person to still follow that. Um, there's probably someone. Next one, honor your father and mother. Again, math, reading, history, science, and enforcing the honoring of parents, all in a day's work for a teacher with just so much extra bandwidth and energy and time. You better, you better honor your parents, little Cindy, because uh, you're gonna get detention. You're gonna get extra homework, something. <clears throat> now, the, the kill one, generally not a problem in, I would say, most classrooms. The only ones violating this are the assholes with the AR-15s, and I don't, I don't mean to make light of this, but I don't know. Do you, is it that useful to have the Ten Commandments that say "Thou shalt not kill" in your classroom? It it would kind of freak kids out, I think, because like they would read that and be like, "Is is that an issue? Has that been a problem here in this classroom that you need to remind us not to kill someone?" Um, to me, that's creating more problems than solving them. Next one, adultery. Let's say you have a class in like West Virginia where children are allowed to marry. And it's always a 13-year-old girl marrying some old piece of shit in this case. Now, a teacher will have to, in the classroom, mind you, make sure that the girl does not commit adultery. The good news is that this is a classroom policy. So once the school day ends, the teacher is off the hook for enforcing the, the fidelity of the students. So just be sure, so this one's pretty easy. Just be sure you don't have any classroom activities that require sexual intercourse and the teacher should be fine. Now this is just in West Virginia. I, I think in most other states, it's not an issue. Um, I don't remember classmates getting married in fourth grade. That could be wrong. Um, so anyone who grew up in Arcadia, uh, check me on that. Stealing. Now, this is the only commandment that is regularly enforced or supposedly enforced in today's classrooms. 
And if, of course, it still happens, so you can make that argument, well, it's going to happen anyway, so why make it a law, you know, like they do with guns? But, okay, well, yeah, I'm still bitter about my super cool mechanical pencil I got from a relative in Japan being stolen when I was in third grade. I mean, there wasn't even an investigation. I never got it back. Maybe if the Ten Commandments were enforced in my class, I would have gotten it back. So maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that one. No stealing. Again, I don't know. Bear false, false witness. So teachers will be asked to play the role of King Solomon to dig for the truth. Kids lie all the time. Adults lie all the time about each other. Rumors. I don't know. Again. If you have the bandwidth for this, teachers, since you have so much of that just overflowing, um, have at it. Now, coveting, the last one, really hard to prove if a student is violating this commandment um, because any smart kid is, is not going to incriminate themselves. It's, you know, it, well, I was a good kid, so there's a good chance I would have confessed to coveting my friend's lunches because they had full-size candy bars and cans of soda while I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some, some carrot sticks, and I, I bought milk for 20 cents each day. So if that's if this is really the argument, because there's if you listen to the straight white American Jesus episode, they play the clips and the person arguing against is just crushing it like separation of church and state. What about kids who aren't Christian? What about so many just duh things? And the woman, all she could come up with was, well, it would be great to have this in a classroom for classroom management. That's that was her that was her ace in the hole. Ace, ace up the sleeve argument. Ha. And this is what we would get. Can you imagine this? Uh, I actually can because this is the day and age we live in. But damn. And I'm pretty sure just talking about adultery um, <laughs> would violate all the laws of Florida. So the Ten Commandments could be something that is attempted to be enforced in a classroom in a state like Florida and then simultaneously banned because it's grooming kids because you know you're going to tell a second grader what adultery is you see boys and girls men have penis no, eh, not gonna, not going to fly um, that, that is a tiny needle to thread that they'll, they'll still try because they are who they are. They being the evangelicals in places of power in red states that really haven't thought this through, like most things. Okay, so that was a 10-minute rant. The first one, I, I'm going to do these possibly on a few other topics, and I don't want to make them 10 minutes, but I just had a, there's 10 commandments, so one, one per minute. You can give me that. So we'll be back next week with a, another episode of Chapel Probation. Thanks for listening.